FS are back. Barca do the double. And Zalgiris win games. It's all ahead of us on your early Sweet 16. Tune in. Great pass from Diamantidis. The lob is done. Here we go. 40 minutes to a title. Euroleague Sweet 16, exactly what you need. As ever, we are up on SoundCloud and we are, of course, uh, on wherever you get good podcasts. So be sure to search for Euroleague Sweet 16 to subscribe and get the episodes as soon as they drop. Hello, and yeah, I'm back again. Emmett here from Ball in Europe. Uh, not quite fully back yet. We'll explain that a little later. There's another week or two of me disappearing, unfortunately, ahead of us. But it is great to be here. And as ever, I'm joined in uh, glorious, beautiful, always amazing weather Scotland by uh, Lewis Cameron and in uh, Israel by Moshe Bardo, Team Scout. Uh, Moshe, how is life for you, man? Raining. It is raining cats and dogs up in here. Um, you know, it's pouring just outside the window. I'd love to, to show you guys, but it is an old audio show. So I guess I, I, I cannot. Uh, I do have my courage beverage. Moses' uh, secret stuff. Lewis says his. Lewis, how are you doing? I'm good. I can't complain. Apparently, I have moved to Tel Aviv because the weather is Scottish here. It is, I'm going to describe this, and it's a nice lead-in. It is wetter than La Provitola's jump shot last night. Oh, that's I, gorgeous. I definitely saw this going to a complete different direction. Yeah, I, I am glad he kept it PC. Uh, PG, sorry. Uh, and uh, so, oddly in Dublin, it is dry, but it is wearing both a jumper and a heavy jacket weather. Uh, so, you know, we're, well, at least I'm not getting wet when I go out later. Uh, well, at least for now, by the looks of it. So, we've got a lot to get through this week, obviously, because it was a double round. So, uh, we'll get to all that. And yeah, no, you can tell one thing we're really excited for. Uh, but there's also a few major news issues as well in EuroLeague. So, it's all ahead of us in the most inaccurate name segment in all of sports and entertainment today the four minute warning four minutes to get through all the action that just happened in your league it's the four minute warning so uh there is a serious thing which we'll get to second but i want to get to the joyous thing first zalgirish didn't go 0 and 10 they didn't even go 1 and 11 this week they have moved to 2 and 9 zalgirish with their first two wins of the year uh for an entirely local dublin context that i always find there's a PR woman I deal with who's from Kaunas originally, but has a very lived in Dublin her whole life accent. Like, yeah, you know, if you didn't see her name, you're kind of going, are you Lithuanian? Uh, but uh, I texted her after Zalgiris won their first, the two they won this week, saying, oh, by the way, Zalgiris actually won because she was there when they went to 0-7, I think, was the game she managed to see when she went home to visit the family. And she goes, oh, don't worry, I heard mom shouting. She's a big Zalgiris fan. So congratulations, Zalgiris fans, wherever you are. Uh, Lewis, I'll go to you first. Uh, just delighted to see Zalgiris get off the mark, but genuinely surprised to see them hit 2-0 this week like beating Panathinaikos traveling not as surprising because Panathinaikos have their troubles but uh going 2-0 quite quite a week for them yeah because like I mean if there's if there was a game in the calendar you looked at and thought they've got a chance of breaking the streak it's Panathinaikos and especially Panathinaikos no Nedovic that's a nice little boost but um yeah yeah obviously now Nedovic came back later in the week but we'll get to the rest of Panathinaikos later in the show but uh, obviously, Zalgiris' other win against uh, Fenerbahce, Moshe, and uh, judging from Twitter last night, uh, safe to say the, the Fener fans aren't exactly on the on, on the uh, Georgievich train anymore. Well, you know, it's uh, you know, you can look for reasons, you know, and we can find them, I think, as to why the team is underperforming the way they do. But the bottom line is, they are like what? Um, 
How many and and seven losses? Three and eight. They're three and eight now. Yeah, exactly. And and I was trying to be like you know a bit uh um to take it on the easy side for for the Fenner fans, but in all seriousness, this is perhaps the most boring loss that Fenner could have you know could have sustained. Essentially, this is the game that they shouldn't shouldn't have lost, and not because of the rival, but because of the bad stretch of games. They're not coming up with a pedigree saying, you know, whoa, we are the, the early grading champs and we can do this. No, they're not. They're not the early grading champs. And they are a new team. So this could be a bit catastrophic. Like, I, I, and they're I, not scoring. Like, their defense is holding up reasonably well. They were, when I was in the last on the show a few weeks ago, they were like the number one defense, scoring defense in Euro League. They're now down to fifth, I think it is. But, uh, you know, offensively, they are the uh, second last. They're 17th of 18th teams. Uh, offensively in your league and they they just can't score Moshe I'll just say this their defense is so good really it is so good that against Milan they managed to stop themselves on three points for an entire quarter <laughs> so yeah that, that's probably too much defense if you're stopping yourself Moshe though isn't it yes yes I'm sorry and, and thank you for letting me have it like you you knew like how I how eager I was to say this uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, but like, I, I suppose mostly though, just getting back to the Algeria for a second, because I know we, we're going to rain on Fenner probably a bit more later on because we'll be touching on the early loss. But uh, like, m- mentally, how big is this for Algeria? Because like, if they had hit that like double digit hole before they got their first win, it would have been so tough for them to bounce back, really, wouldn't it? To like make the season even you know worthwhile caring about. Let's just say that if I would have been, if I'm a Panathinaikos fan right now or a Fenner fan, I'm I'm very much envious of whatever on, whatever's going on with Joggeries. Because you get a lot of confidence. You no, know, not just getting like a win. It's getting two wins. And you know what? You can say that the first one was eh, because it was Panathinaikos. And everyone knows that Panathinaikos are, for the lack of a better word, um, anyone wants to, anyone brave enough? No? I was okay. just going to say not good. Yes, thank you. Really for that. not good. Really yeah. not good. Really, really, really not good. good. Yes, really, really not good. So, Keeping that in mind, you know, you look at them and you're thinking, you know what? I might not be in that bad of a place after all. Now, again, listen, nobody said that the Joggers are not going to make the playoffs. But it definitely it, this, this run that they may have started could just, you know, ease things down. Like, you know, it's going to leave a good taste. It's going to sweeten a bit the, the sour taste that the Joggers fans had so far in their mouths. Okay. I'm sorry, Moshe, I, ha- I have to interject. The run they might have started, yes, two fantastic results. I'm going to read out their next three fixtures. Oh, Lewis. And then we'll see what run. So um, next week, they're at Barcelona. Then they've got Basconia in Kaunas, followed by a visit to Moscow. Basconia in Kaunas is winnable. Sheska are vulnerable, but I still think Sheska win that game. But even though Barcelona are the clear best team in the EuroLeague right now, the Girish Barcelona, wherever it is, is always a weird game. Uh, so it's fun. I mean, they're boring. Barcelona for now are boring. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. There's nothing climatic on in, in that basketball. Am I am, am I am I wrong? No, you're right. But I'm saying is that Barcelona's Algiers has in recent years proven to be one of the weirder fixtures in Euroleague yeah. in terms <laughs> of sort of what happens. Uh, and so I think it's like you know the way Barcelona can't win in Tel Aviv. There's no way Barcelona and Zalgiris can have a normal game. Uh, like, this is just the way it's written, uh, you know, in the stars. And so, like, you know, if I'm wrong, I'd be favoring Barcelona to win, but I far I far from expect that to be a conventional Barcelona victory. Wait, Luis, you, you were, you it, it seemed like you were, uh, you wanted to say something. something. Sure, I will say, 
Barcelona style of basketball, it's not it's not for the neutral. No. It's 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 slow, it's sluggish. But they probably had the game of the week this week. Oh, yes, but still, I'm I'm saying for, for pure entertainment value, that was the game of the week. That was just pure ugly heavyweight haymakers. Uh like you know, Barca go on a run, Chess go on a run, Barca run it back, you know, just basically like, you know. Here's my best punches. See what you can take. And it was clear Shaska didn't have anything in the in the in the in the in the bucket left really. When maybe Barca maybe, the maybe a bucket list. Maybe a bucket list. But, but uh, we're, we're going to deviate from the game slightly for a moment because I know we, we like to go off on our tangents. But Moshe brought up a more serious matter to us, obviously, before the show came on, and that is about the future of Euroleague as a concept. Because of course, the vote to for the ouster of uh, Jordi Bertomeo was only 6-5, and Moshe, obviously, the, the Maccabi side having some concerns about this in terms of not necessarily that Jordi is gone, but uh, that uh, it was so tight and therefore there could be divisions amongst the permanent clubs and all that. So, Moshe, your thoughts on that report and what were what might happen? Well, of course, you're referring to the to the Yearhoop support. Like I, I can see the concern. I, I truly do. But I think that, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, and I do believe, you know, I, I want to believe that you see all the high-ranked guys in those clubs, and you got to believe that they're looking at the bigger picture. Because the EuroLeague as a product, it's a very prestigious one. I mean, I'm, I'm, when you're thinking about the branding, about, you know, the, the value of, of, of the competition and the brand itself, it's immense. I just think that maybe perhaps the biggest problem was essentially, you know, from all the reports, obviously, was... Um, you know, revenues were okay, but not what they should have been when you look at, you know, 21 years. Yeah, like if you look at, like you know, and obviously compared to other sports is mean, but like in terms of sort of the value proposition of basketball, the ability to market it and all that, there definitely is sort of, you know, an undervaluation of the product, but that's a lot to do with the product not being maximized its potential value uh, as, a, as a pan-European league, like in simple terms. Uh, you know, and so you've got to look at sort of, you know, how you maximize that, that TV revenue, particularly across international rights. And I think there was a large feeling that that hadn't been done at other sports with, uh, frankly, smaller markets, although quite often more affluent, had done a lot better, not just in a pound for pound basis, but on an actual raw, you know, net income basis. And so, and obviously basketball is a very expensive sport to run, uh, is the best way to put it at a top level uh, in terms of the player salaries and the travel costs and et cetera. And sports with, frankly, while professional lower budgets were doing better TV revenue wise, and that obviously was going to irk some people and, uh, you know, and also in sponsorship wise as well. And so, yeah, I, I can see why there was eventually going to be some level of, of a heave, so to speak. Lewis, a man who used to live in Barcelona, uh, your own thoughts of this as a man who used to live near your league HQ, a short walk away, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I, I'm at no ends. I think Euroleague as a brand has dropped the ball massively. Um, I think given the situation we found ourselves in for the last two years, where you could not physically generate revenue inside arenas, they had a massive and unbelievable opportunity to, to go off beast, to do, to do what they really should be doing in terms of broadcasting, generating revenue from, from coming from a finance background, having worked in sports, I would say the fact that they cannot get any sponsors is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, how can how can you not bring in money? Like it's having done it, it's not it's not that difficult. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Let me in, please. Go on. 
Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, we're first of all, we're talking about a very uh, interesting, you know, time when we're talking like COVID and we're talking like a lot of people lost a lot of money. Now, I'm not talking specifically about basketball, but when we're going into basketball, let me ask you this, because we are talking about different markets, essentially. Basketball is a competition. Like, we knew that there was an issue in France in terms of broadcasting the, the French team's games. I mean, it's not like, when you think about this entire situation, I, I see like two major problems here. One of them is, you know, something that EuroLeague maybe cannot control. And that is like, if you have countries that do not win, and I'm talking again, if I'm taking the, the thing with the French television eventually, you know, essentially with them not, you know, broadcasting games, then this is one of them. But the biggest concern to me was, um, we're talking how many different markets, Emic? 10, 11? Oh, uh, uh, that's just your core markets. Like you're forgetting it's pan-European. You can get interest from other parts of Europe as well. But that's the I, thing. It's not. It's not. Because whenever you're going for sponsorships, and again, it depends. But um, more than more than often that that I would love, would like to admit, not love to admit actually, is when you talk to to companies, they're like, okay, you've reached like our the branch in in for example, right, in Istanbul. So then they say, wait, your reach is more than Istanbul, right? Then you go, you talk to Italy, you go, you talk to this guy, you go, you talk to that guy. Now we're talking eleven different target audiences. Okay, so there is the language thing. There, there is a legit language barrier. I know that you might say yes because English is an international language, but no, I'm going to say other sports have managed to overcome that language barrier. So I don't think it really holds. Yeah, like, really I mean, if you look at UEFA Champions League, I know, but the thing is that basketball didn't because when you look at it, Lithuania, it, it's a religion. Serbia, a religion. In other countries, at best, this is like the second most interesting sport. It's but, like, but, but Moshe, at best, second is a great number to be. And what I would go with really there is, you know, your own internal investment in marketing and branding. Like, people have to realize they aren't necessarily the same thing. I know Lewis from his work does, and you from your uh, Days in the Ponies definitely do. Like, they are the same thing. Like, you know, they, they're meant to work alongside each other. Your branding is designed to make people want to sign with you. So, like, the French example for, you know, they won't broadcast, and I'm kind of going, why don't they want to broadcast is the immediate question I have. And that goes back to a legacy of not doing enough. And again, you've got to look at your own internal investment. Uh, you know, if you're not, if your collective isn't willing to invest in a serious brand and marketing team, like I, you know, worked in a gambling company, like, you know, it's like kind of going, we had a separate brand team to marketing entirely. And we were not a big business. Like we had 90 staff in total across the whole business most of whom worked in IT, like, but we still managed to have both a brand and marketing team, which were very well supported. Like we had minimal budgets, but we knew what we needed to do. And we also had like, you know, the understanding that the brand team doesn't actually technically bring in revenue. They create an opportunity for the marketing team to bring in revenue. And I think that was an area you really just read up the ball on. And I think they didn't have enough people who had real expertise. I don't just mean people like, you know, with names. I mean, actual, like, you know, been the trenches Lewis style when it comes to here's the X, Y, Z we need to do about this. And like, you know, they had like, you know, like, cause you know, I've been dealing with the early staff for, you know, my whole time covering basketball. They're all wonderful, but there's also not that many of them. And that's the part that's always concerned me that I think they don't have enough investment for that team on that end. 
And it's been a, you know, you look at rugby, you look at handball, well, not so much handball because they actually don't invest that much either. But, uh, you know, you look at rugby and you look at other sports in Europe and you kind of go, they realize we got to spend this money internally. And if we spend it, because everybody's afraid of the, you know, the financial controller always, if we spend it, it will actually lead to, you know, more revenue and, and then some in the long term. So it's, it's annoying, Walsh. It's annoying. You know, what I don't understand is, I mean, you're a league till this day. When you're thinking EuroLeague, you're thinking the best, the, the second best league in the in, in the world, in terms. Oh of yeah. Football. So this is what I'm saying that in terms of branding, like EuroLeague is way up in here. Like they're legit. You know, I, I think the best basketball brand outside of the outside of the US, hands down. But yeah, but you need to capitalize on it. You need to monetize that shit. And they so far they did okay I, I can't say but more than that it's like it's like you're saying they need to make i think the problem was they were comparing themselves to the rest of basketball and basketball as a sport has yeah. not done well or you got to compare yourselves to not just other sports but entertainment as a whole because that's what you're competing with you know you're competing with all forms of you know disposable income and if the barrier you're setting yourself against is other basketball like you know basketball as a whole has you know in europe generally not been great at sort of you know building that out branding wise well, the big brand, sorry, just to drift off, I spoke to someone at EuroLeague who will remain anonymous regarding yeah. the branding. And party line is, oh, but we've done so much more since 2016. See if you are in the second best league in the world position at 2016, then fair enough. See if you are in effectively what I would call 1997 in terms of branding and technology at 2016 and you've went to 1999. That does not make you incredible. And I think that's a nice segue. We talk about money and not being able to manage it and just overspending in the wrong places. Let's talk Mike James. Yay! We're going to get cancelled. Uh, <laughs> or, or blocked, at least. So uh, I, 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 I saw, like, a Timur Rustamov's uh, thread from when Mike James left. Chesco came up again yesterday. And Timur, like, you know, he's really, really cool dude, just to be clear. He was straight up saying, well, I was wrong. But it's still a very interesting thread because it's all about how Chesky did everything right in terms of the disconnect from Mike James and that it was also the right way for Mike James because Mike had played with Chesky's seconds, you know, and showed that he would was willing to put the work in, et cetera. So that both parties had done enough to make sure that both of them and the brands and the spending looked worthwhile investments, uh, so to speak. And then uh, then Mike James happened. Uh, Lewis, I got to let you have the floor here. I mean... Okay, let, 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 I'm going to knock it on the head. He's not had a good season. He's, his shooting splits are pretty painful. I'm going to pull them up in front of me. But realistically, I mean, if you're signing Mike James, and he's getting, obviously, he's getting the Seska money. He's, I imagine he's pretty well paid, no discounts. But there's a few discounts on his shooting percentages. 44, 25, and 73. Like, that's not, that is not what you're paying for. Did you see then, play though? Like at the limit of 73, I can't have the 4425. Have you seen his recent games though? It seems that something was bothering him, or you know, he was something there is definitely lacking. I don't know if it's like joy, you know, just pure happiness. Made jump shot. Maybe, maybe there's an injury we're not aware of, but something is definitely off there. I mean, I've seen him. Like, I've not seen... joking, Monaco is a boring place to live. I've only spent one night there, and I was not uh, it's very, you know. What's the term? Sacrament, sorry. Sort of, you know, sanitized feel to it. Like, you know, it's like, it's not for everybody. Like, you know, and like Mike James is a guy who just wants to play basketball, be liked for being the best at basketball and get paid very well for that. And, uh, you know, 
the whole like Monaco, it's not really got that culture in the place. Like, you know, it's like, unfortunately, most of the places you'll get the first two, you won't get the last bit of being paid very well for it. And, uh, you know, it's like outside of the US, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's like, whereas, like, you know, if you're going to get to play basketball, be liked for being the best at it. Uh, if you're going to get paid the best, it's probably not going to be as basketball or a city. And so. But he said the same thing. I remember seeing this when he was doing like answering questions on Twitter. He said, Oh, would you ever come back to Vittoria? And he went, No. And I get that completely, having been to Vittoria numerous times. Vittoria gets days. If you are tail end of your career, family, kids, and you've got a multi year deal, yes, it's probably quite a nice place to settle down. But if you're in your peak or in your prime, nah, it's probably not for you. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, like, I'm a wrong, lovely place, but yeah, like, even at my, I was at 38 when I was there, 37, and I was kind of bored. Uh, actually, I think I'm even 39, wow. Uh, no, 30, I was 37, I was 37, 38, 38. Anyway, but yeah, like, you know, he wants to be in a city with life, and Monaco, people go, oh, but come on, it's all the like glamorous stuff, the yachts, the Grand Prix, all that. I was like, it's actually kind of dull, because, you know, unless there's a big thing happening, it's just, you know, people being rich and staying to, staying to themselves, like, you know, which... Probably isn't Mike James's like thing either. Uh, Moshe, what do you think is going to happen next with Mike James? Wow, I'm feeling more comfortable answering marketing and branding questions and having discussions <laughs> with Lewis than answering this. Look, I really thought that Monaco are heading to a good place, but two things happened. Two things. One, Scotty Wilbekin happened, and he broke Leo Vesterman's ankles to the point where Leo actually missed the rest of that game and the second game in the 11th round. Um, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that, obviously. And the second thing, what happened with Mike James in that, in that game? And I think they're on fragile ground, in, in a manner of speaking, if that makes any sense. It, 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 looks, it looks like they're just right about that point of no return. So if everything goes... And if they manage to smooth things down and, you know, make things okay with Mike James and, you know, they make him, because again, I've seen Mike James happy. I've seen him playing a happy style of basketball. And trust me, we've all enjoyed it. Whether it was in, in Vitoria, whether it was at times with Panathinaikos. Yeah. And, and no, but you know what, Milano, actually that, that project collapsed miserably. So I cannot really say, you know, that was, yeah, it was okay. No, I'm saying like straight up Cheska. Because even in Cheska, you saw you saw somewhat of a happy basketball, more responsible, but at the same time, not too contained, which is something that we cannot really say about, about guys that, you know, sometimes return to, uh, to Cheska. If you think about it, like if you guys remember the case of the, the very, very curious case of Victor Rudd, where he came there, like, yeah, yeah that, that was like the most, what doll version of Victor Rudd? No open course, no nothing. It's like he was so, you know, sterilized. Sterilized, yeah, and overthinking yeah. all the time. And look, if we're honest about it, that's not the guy that they needed. They needed another five, and they brought in like a, a guy who's four on a good day, but essentially, instead of skills, should have been like a three and a half, but not really with a good shot, with a you know, not not a good shot, say a consistent shot from deep. Okay, like, here's the thing. People want to sign Mike James, better what? But the question, exactly. the market, the market is still limited because he's going to put a certain salary, and the clubs that can offer that, there's only so many of them. But also the ones who are kind of going, well, like even you look at the two American guards you just spoke about the most in the show the last few years, been Shane Larkin and Mike James. And Scott. Shane Larkin. No, we're going to stick. I know, I know. We're going to stick with Shane for the for the reason of this because they've been two most in the MVP discussions over the last few years, and uh, the difference is like when Shane Larkin has an off night you know it's not or he gets benched or something like that happens 
he's not going to take it, you know, in a way of, well, he might, he might internally go F this, F that, but he'll just go, well, I know I can sort this out and we can really fine afterwards. Like Mike seems to hit the point of screw it straight away. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like personally, I think talent wise, you're talking to very similar players. Like, uh, I would, I would obviously style of play is different, but like, I'd have Mike slightly ahead of Shane in talent being honest, but you know, I would also say if I'm, you know, have my big fat checkbook to make UCD Marion a super team in EuroLeague, and I have the choice of either of them, I'm probably signing Shane because I know, even though, you know, it's arguably I'm getting less production from Shane than Mike. I'm more confident I'll still have that production in May because you'll still be on the roster in May. And that's the difference. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, so, you know, it's like, you know, my big fat checkbook, like, you know, it's like kind of going, that's just a more sensible investment. It is. I think what you what what you guys are saying here, and, and again, this is something we we talked off camera, off recordings, what have you. It's just that when you look at the, you know what I, I mentioned, like Scotty, but I, I can see what what why you said what you know why you went specifically with these two. But as a package, Shane Larkin is a, is a more complete package. I think that's what you know. Bottom okay. line. Big big question, and I think we're all in the same boat here that Mike James isn't out of Monaco officially. No, I don't but think he's, so. he's definitely not doing a monthly shopping. So he's he's, <laughs> he's he's on his way out. If you are Monaco, who do you replace him with? I'll tell you who I'm not replacing him with, Emmanuel Moudier. Yeah, okay, but who's actually there? Seriously, who, who, who can you get right now? And that's a big I, question. I, I, I'm going to throw a name out there because he's been linked with a return to Europe and we've nicely segued from Mike James. Darius Adams. Really, has he? I didn't actually know he'd been like to But like, you know I what? what I mean. you wanna, if you want to make Mike James happy again, you keep him and you bring Darius Adams in. And that, by the way, that, by the way, is a backcourt that you do not want to play against. I don't, I don't know like how you can defend. I, I seriously don't. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a curious one, but like, I have no idea what Monica are going to do here because like, I think, it, it, I think they're in a better position to save it than Shesko Ware is the one thing. Yeah. Because they don't have, oddly, the tradition and history of Sheska that they've got to lean on and the whole people coming to Russia, like Timur was saying, they've got to spend certain money and all that. You are still selling this, even though I was, Padma has Monaco was very boring. It still has this image of being very glamorous. So a lot more players will think it's uh, not not that, uh, unless you listen to our show, in which case, sorry, Monaco, I've just made you increase the money you're spending on players. Uh, and uh, so oh, they, they made like, um, they made like, I think their uh, budget, their budget is, if memory serves me right, like 14 million euros. Out of it, seven to eight is going for player salaries. Yeah, I mean, that's like the highest budget is, is Villarbonne. It's 15, but only... In France, yeah. Yeah, in France, of course. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, but like most of it goes to the academy and, you know, to everything around. Like it, not like most of it, it's not being invested in the, you know, in terms of, of player salaries. I actually want to go to Villarban next uh, because uh, looking at them, two losses which in an isolation are not bad losses. They're the number one and two team in EuroLeague, Real Madrid and Barcelona. The problem is they both came in the same week at home. And Asvel's entire season is built around protecting that court. Like, you know, you know they have shown in their time in EuroLeague that they are a tough team to beat in France. And that you go there, you're going to have a rough night. And so to go from 6-3 to 6-5 in one week with both those losses coming at home, I think Lewis 
even though they're the two best teams in EuroLeague right now, that, that, they're cumulatively bad losses, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's two games that, truthfully, at the start of the season, I think if you'd asked them honestly, Asphalt would have probably said, if we, can, if we can sneak one win, that's a good week. But nobody had a particularly bad game for Asphalt. I think that's that's probably the, the bit that's, that's probably more frustrating. See if they, they stank it up. Yeah, okay. You know what? We're playing the one A and B team in Europe, in my opinion. But Elio Kobo dropped 26 on 8 of 16 shooting against Real. Chris Jones, 12 points. Like, they, they weren't bad. And then against Barca, I think Joe... Uh, Jacobo had, if I remember correctly, 17. Yeah, and but that's almost more concerning because at least if they had like rough nights, you can kind of go, ah, oh, well, you can build it back. You played decent basketball and you still got beaten com- com- clearly in both games. That's, yeah. That's, that's more worrying, I would say, the frustrating, really. I would, I would take the Barca one with a pinch of salt, as I alluded to at the start of the podcast. I mean, Nikola Miritich dropped 15 points. Ah, okay. Steady but unspectacular. You cannot factor in. Nikola Laprovitola going 7 of 12 from deep, 8 of 13 overall in 23 minutes and dropping 25 points. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That does happen. Moshe, your own thoughts on Asvel's week. Considering who they lost to, you know, like I was saying, my thought was could be a lot worse, like, you know, but because they're both homers, probably a rough week for them in hindsight. You know what? Uh, just look at the standings, okay? Look at the standings. Oh, have them in front of me. Okay, so, I mean, aside of Unix, right? You know, and even when you look specifically, each team and their, you know, their schedule, is it really surprising? Like the most surprising team could be perhaps Villarban from the top eight that is actually still in the top eight. I mean, yes, we kind of, when you saw the way they started and you see the duo of Jones and Okobi, you're thinking to yourself, yes, they can make a few teams bleed in, in a way. But look, they faced Barcelona, they faced Madrid. What, what chance did they really have? Like, these are games that as a GM, as a GM, as a coach, you, you sit down and you're not counting on these on these two games as wins. No doubt. Like, no way. I, I actually want to segue off that because you just said, like, you know, as well surprised to be in there. I suppose the real questions are the surprises to not be there. We'll go with the more positive one in terms of the way they're coming back. There are still only five and six. But the key number for me, as always, as you all know, I always have my plus minus points difference. Plus 44, despite being in 10th spot. Anadolu FS Istanbul. FS, two wins this week. Moshe texted the group last night, think FS are back or something like that. Moshe, I think FS are back. Okay, I, 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 I hate to, you know, to ruin it for you, but last year, Maccabi had, like, I think throughout the year, a positive, you know, plus minus in terms of point differential, and they didn't make it to the playoffs. They eventually collapsed, and they, they finished the season with a minus. But most of it, you know, just so, you know. Okay. You know, good. Uh, now, when we're talking on Adolu FS, at the beginning, you know, I thought to myself, yes, they're back. But then, would you please go to the two box scores and tell me what it is that your eyes see? Shane Larkin had rough games in both nights. Now, he's killing me, Lewis. He's straight up killing me. Oh, if it's the same thing, I see it. Rodri Bubois. Thank you. Uh, so, well, I, I had not hope for him, but I knew he had rough games both nights. So, let me pull these up. Uh, so, we got like, Yeah, you know, Ro- Rodri Bubois had a big week. That's- oh yeah, oh yeah. But you know, like we're talking about a guy who had a tremendous finish to last year as well. Like Roddy having big nights, you know, isn't exactly a shock to me, to be honest, at this stage. Like I think like sort of Roddy, the year they came uh, second in the in a lost championship game, 
you know, sort of, he was sort of seen as sort of, you know, a supporting role player where I think through last season, the, the COVID season, uh, particularly in the final four, he showed like, oh no, I'm a lot more than like a role player. Like I'm a guy, I'm a, I'm a baller, man. Like, you know, I'm still Roddy freaking Bobo. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. I think he was sort of, you know, finding his way in the rotation there to find out exactly where he could do the Roddy stuff. And like Roddy to me is sort of what Roddy should have been a couple of years ago. He just took a little time to get there. I mean, guys, you know how much I love Roddy, really. Like, if I'm assembling a team, he's like, he's one of the guys I'm, I'm definitely grabbing. The question is, like, in terms of Forte, right? You remember Daniel Hackett, at the beginning of, the, of, of his career, everyone said, like, you know, he's, a, he's an offensive ticket. He was a very talented offensive ticket. But then we've gotten to see the defensive Hackett. I was going to say, I'm so old, I forget that he was uh, seen as an offensive player. Not, uh, that long, just... not that long ago, you forgot, like, how old you were. You were like 37, oh, 38, no, 39, no, 38. Yeah, so, you know. Well, I'm 40 now, mostly. Everything's falling apart upstairs, like, you know. It's understandable. Um, But my point is, Roddy Bobois, despite what everyone thinking, you know, he can explode on the offensive end. That dude can play defense. Oh, yeah. Serious defense at that. And, and, you know, I just think that FS got him back. Now, is it good? For sure. (laughs) The question is, how long will they be able to rely on him? Because all the other guys, they're still not there. They're still not there 100%. You're getting a night where you have a good Tibor Plies. You have a night where you have a good Larkin. You have a good night where you have a, a, a Vasa Misic. At the end of the day, the, the day that everyone will perform, that's like pretty much they'll enter annihilation mode. And that will be a scary day. But for the time being, I'm saying, yes, they could be back. They could be potentially back. But just as I was not that irresponsible, Pressing the panic button, I am not. I am not. I'm, I'm not going to be responsible and saying like right now they're bad. Like to me, Fenner are in a shitty situation. I'm not saying on a little war, but you know I, they're they're better. But still, I'm not. I'm not fully convinced. I will be in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, before we comment, Moshe's got a couple of edits to do this week because he said shit twice now. Uh, so uh, and, uh, so yeah, like wet. Louis said, wet. You cannot. You you cannot come to me after he did what he did. Come on. Okay. 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 Listen. So yeah. Okay. That's fair. Although I will point out for poor old Lewis, who was only a listener last year, not on the show, that Moshe uh, was for weeks and weeks trying to go Efficer, Turbo Efficer, and Turbo to me and Aris to start, and Aris and I were kind of going, give it time, give it time, and eventually came round. So we'll go briefly to Barcelona and two zero this week. Boring, boring Barca, Moshe, or are they more watchable? I enjoyed the game against Sheska, although it was old heavyweight slugfest. That was a great game to me. Okay, again, this is like the anomaly when I was saying the most anticlimactic basketball. And, we, and this is, by the way, something we said last year. If they win, this would be perhaps the most anticlimactic basketball that won the early. But still, you know, you got to give it to Coach Charles that he finds ways. His team's like, you know, you cannot really rule them out. That's like, you know, just off the bat. Am I surprised? No, it's Barcelona. If they would have went like one and one, especially in a week where they're facing Villarban, I'd say, damn, they have a problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping the third time thing, you know, that word for a later stage in the show. So there's that. So I'm not surprised. Barca is Barca. You know, Charles is Charles. Great coach, great team. Lewis, quickly, your thoughts on Barcelona before. You know what? Shout out to Andy West is all I'm going to say on it. He said it reminded him of the Dolman game against Cesca. And it had Dolman against Cesca. It was one of my favourite in-arena moments. And that's what it was. It was exactly like that. Heavyweight knockout. Wait, so we're talking here about that. That amazing game where Dolman sank in the three, then steals the inbound and goes for that winner shot, right? 
that's the one. It was see that this the chaos of Seska up, Barca back, Barca up, Seska back. Unbelievable chaos. That see end of the third, start of the fourth before Barcelona did deliver the knockout blow. That was that was how I felt watching it. It was quite a game to watch, absolutely. But if we're talking about quite a game and individual performances, I mean, especially as they only played one game this week and they didn't play Olympiacos in the second game set of fixtures. Maccabi with a... Uh, I am, of course, kidding. Of course, Olympiacos with a very impressive win over Maccabi. But earlier in the week, a little bit of history for Maccabi's Scotty Wilbeck and Moshe. You were there, man. Yeah, I was. Actually, this was the first time where Scotty um, joined the 30-plus points club in a game. Really? Yeah, it was. He had like he flirted with 30 multiple times. Don't get me wrong. He had nights of 28, 25, 70. Memory serves me right. In the Euro Cup, he scored like I think over he had a 40 plus point game in the I think it was semifinal, maybe with the 10 three pointers. But we're talking early. And you know, because you brought up earlier Shane Larkin and Mike James, and I, you know, Shane had multiple hits on the 30 plus points game. So did Mike James. But what was so special in that night was, and also symbolic, uh, Maccabi chose to honor two of their, uh, you know, 90s legends, which were, uh, you know, Odette Kadash and Doran Sheffer. Now, their jersey numbers were 10 and 11. Of course, Maccabi did that ceremony, did that, did that specific ceremony just before the 10th round tipped off, but it was the 10th and 11th round, right? So, you know, you see the, you see the, uh, you see what they did there. Now, on that specific night, Scotty explodes with 37 points, which was, you know, he tied uh, an all-time high scoring for a Maccabi player in the EuroLeague, which was previously set by Sharunas Yasikevichus, a.k.a. Sharas, and that Jodri's miracle game. And get this, the referee, Ilya Belasevich, was the guy who officiated that game, you know, 19 years ago. Against Jalgiri. Were, were you there 19 years ago as well, Mo? Were you, were you there that night? Uh, I think that for some reason I cannot really point out where I was, Emmett. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, which also shows... What? Hang on, in high school then. I was in primary school. Okay, okay. Go back to the bit anyway about, a bit about the referee. and. Bottom line, 19 years apart, same referee. Same scoring highs. Come on, it, it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, you know, it's got to be something. There's something beautiful to that symmetry, all right. Like absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, but uh, big congrats to Scotty as well. Like tremendous performance. Uh, obviously, Moshe uh, Maccabi's other game this week wasn't as good. Uh, but I'm guessing you're pretty impressed by how Olympiacos beat them. Okay, first of all, yes and no. Okay, the yes part is no. I mean, come on, 35-8. That was an amazing quarter. That was an amazing first quarter. Now, do mind. Maccabi came after a double rounder, uh, double OT game on Sunday. Then there was the game against Monaco, which pretty much drains the living crap out of you, for the lack of a better word. Uh, Scotty, by the way, came to the Olympiacos game after he played 77 minutes in those two games. These two games, like, you know, in, in the same week again, but that's not an issue here. Something that I think we've all witnessed, but never really paid attention, oh, or sorry, we, we have, we did pay attention, but we didn't, I think, discuss it enough, maybe. How many teams got smoked this year in the EuroLeague and how many reacted right after? That's true, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you've seen a difference in the caliber of some sides based on that alone early. And Olympiacos, they came after they got an ass whooping from, from Anadolu FS. The way that that game happened is ex like, to me, the way I saw it, again, I may have missed something, I may have not, but the way I've seen it, 
It's like Maccabi came straight off flat, like really drained. Olympiacos took that seven to nothing lead. Maccabi made their first bucket, but then panic broke out. There was also an element of Bartzakis ball to it, like because the way uh, Bartzakis feels his sides when they lose, uh, there's as good a chance of them losing by 20 as there is by two. Uh, you know, they more likely will win. Just to be clear, like it's, a, I think he's very effective as a coach, but like his sides are sort of, you know, built that when things go wrong, they go wrong. Eleven <laughs> you know? games, eleven games, Olympiacos played. Well, everyone played eleven games for crying out loud. But here's something interesting, and. I know I'm well, high. I've got something interesting as well, but let's hear your something interesting first. Okay, I'm high on Olympiacos, right? It's it's been clear since uh, day one. But for them, you know, I, I kept saying they were naive, but I think that it that that even borderlines something else. And I'm not even talking about the symmetry where where Tyler Dorsey scored 17 uh, in the uh, against Maccabi. And he was the one who scored 19 against Olympiacos, where Maccabi smoked Olympiacos the 19-20 season. It was 1965, the final result, never mind. Um, get this, they're seven and four. Out of those, you know, seven wins, all of them were at home. Out of those four losses, all of them were on the road. Now, and that I had not noticed. Again, and trust me, like they will have to start winning away games. They oh, will. Yeah, sure. But 0 and 4 on the road, like you look at the record, you're saying, okay, 7 0, that is a straight up legit, amazing home court advantage playoff team. But if they're not going to be able to translate it and to also, you know, take that ability from home and deliver like this on the road, that's an issue to me. Lewis, you've got something interesting to say before we move on to our next topic, so please. Do you know what? My something interesting actually leads perfectly in to our next topic. My, my inconsistency has a Turkish feel to it. Hey. <clears throat> Moshe, I told you at the start of the season... Maccabi will only go as far as Scotty takes them. Now, You're in, wrong. Six uh, uh, in six games he has played in November between EuroLeague and Winter League, other than the 37 and 8 he had against Monaco, Scotty Wilbekin is averaging 5.8 points, 3.2 assists on 44 and 27% splits. Consistency, oh. that is why he's not in my, I agree with Emmett, he's not in my Larkin and James tier. Consistency is key, but if we want to talk inconsistent bill movements, let's talk Fenner because their okay, season well, has hit on. the pan. You cannot say this and not expect me to react. Come on, it's 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 math. It's straight up math. Yes, yeah. but but basket. Look, it's not it's not money ball. It's not money ball. You you can give me all the thumbs down, thumbs downs as you as you want. It, it's not going to change it. It's not money ball. Those 20s. numbers are terrible, Moshe. That's not yeah, money ball. Forty-four and twenty-seven. Numbers. Wait, wait, no, the reason I'm saying it's not Moneyball is because so many variables when we're talking Scotty Wilbekin. Like, you know what? Pull up, please, the, the stats he had against Rodgers. Okay, in the meantime, I'll say the following. Okay. We'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to Scotty because we need, we need to wait, talk wait, Fenner. Wait, wait. Because... I really got to say this. I know we're going to talk Fenner, but Scotty, you've got to take from that equation the games where he was injured. Okay, that affected his shot. Uh, what about the perimeter defense of Cheska? When they beat Maccabi, 74-73, listen, there is, there is a fine line as to how much you can expect from a guy. Trust me, I, I've seen this Maccabi version, all their 11 games in the EuroLeague and all their games in Winter League, okay? And to say that they are still very much dependent on Scotty and that he's not consistent couldn't be farther from the truth. And the reason is he may not be shooting for now uh, uh, as he's used to in terms of percentages, but 
you look at his assist, uh, at, at how many balls he steals, and, and everything he does that's, you know, not scoring. Okay, Moshe, Moshe, I'm going to agree with this on one thing, though, which is I'm blaming Lewis. Somehow, Lewis found a way to guarantee that our moving on to Fener would become more talking about Maccabi. So congratulations, Lewis, on that. So, but we are now actually moving on to Fener. And Lewis was saying they have hit the proper toilet here, Moshe. And uh, they are not looking good. Like, just to be clear, like, on paper, and again, we can discuss the difference between on paper quality, but, like, on paper, if you look at the starting roster of last year and the starting roster this year, you say they're stronger this year. Their record sure as heck is not stronger this year. And they're three and eight. Like, they are one win better than Zalgiris, for goodness sake, who they lost to this week. They're one win better than Panathinaikos, who we've been ragging on all year. Like, I've only been on the show a couple of times this year, and even I feel tired of ragging on Panathinaikos. They're the same record as Alba, who have no expectations at all. That's what Fenner are right now. They are... Ugh. Bad. Bad. Yeah. Moshe. And, like, the other three teams, we expected them to not be good because of what we saw in front of us. That Fenner roster has no excuse from what I'm seeing, Moshe. Your own thoughts here. You know, when we're talking Maccabi, it's, um, oh, really? Really? You, you, didn't, you, you didn't see this one coming? I, I, I thought I'd done enough to move you off freaking Maccabi. Come on, run Fenner. Tell me what you're thinking of Fenner. I was, you know, that was a good setup for me. I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, um, okay, the, the only explanation I got is Kokoshkov Georgievich. It's it's a roster that was built for Kokoshkov, and I'm not even sure that, you know, that roster, with, with the way I'm seeing them playing right now, that it can even flourish with him. I'm going to say something that's going to sound even more controversial. Don't panic yet. Last year, they were, wait, they were what, 5-10 and 10 when they started like a 10-game winning streak or something like that. But then they did get Goodrich back. Now they already have Goodrich, so they suck with him. Uh, correction, correction. They don't have Goodrich. They've got Badrich. He's straight up Badrich. Uh, <laughs> okay, that is like straight up daddy jokes. And we do not approve them uh, on the 16. That, that, that's like that's a man who clearly wants to be a father uh, in his life. We, making we that also, joke. Okay, I, I also want to be a father, but you don't see me go on ranting like dad jokes. Seriously. Yeah, but once wants the world to know he wants to be a father as often as possible, is what I should have phrased it as then. Like, you know, both like, you know, it's like that's that level of joke. Like, you know, uh, as I just replied, you said we all do. I, I want it clearly on record that I do not want to be a father, uh, you know, on this show. It's like, I like my lions too much. So, sorry, all the potential, you know, mothers of my children. So, but, so, but like, yeah, we are getting batterage though. And we're not getting, we're getting like batter, bat, battle uh, you know, Nando de Bado. Don't, 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 yeah, Nando, don't, don't. Nan, Nando de Bado. I'm going with that, Nando de Bado. But yeah, but like we are getting, like they, they suck. They suck. Yeah. They reap. They are bad at basketball. <laughs> But they don't have the excuses the other teams have. And uh, like I can see exactly why Fenner fans are furious. And uh, like, you know, Lewis, like, you know, most were saying the roster might have been built for Kokoskov. Like, it's not like they were like wild on Kokoskov's performance last year either. Like, you know, it's just that like right now what Kokoskov was doing with them looks like, you know, the glory days compared to what we're seeing with Georgievich. Yeah, I mean they're, they're straight up bad. And I actually I actually feel for Fenner fans, because I'm going to be totally honest. See if they hadn't won in Moscow. I, th I think he, we would be looking at a new head coach in Fenner. I, I think that's just, it was such a big win. And obviously they ran Olympiacos close the week before. They ran Barcelona. They've had a couple of close games. Like they ran Real Madrid close in Madrid, ran Barcelona close, ran Olympiacos close, beat Moscow. And you think, okay, it's turning around. 
And then since then, I mean, 68-43 against Milano. That's just, that's not basketball. Yeah, yeah so 68-43 in a bad game of basketball, that should be a score after three quarters. Not, not a full-time score. Like, no one should be scoring 43 points in an entire game of basketball. That's just, it's just straight up bad. Um, I've said I think Fenner's biggest problem is, unfortunately, they do not have a go-to guy. I thought they were one player away. And I think, I actually still think this roster is just one player away. The problem is they've got Pierre Henry, who needs the ball in his hands. Jan Vesely needs the ball in his hands. Nando De Colo, same problem. It's the common problem. They don't have anyone that can play off the ball. They don't have your shout-out, Bobby Dixon. Yeah, and it's it's kind of an issue. Like, you know, it's like, and obviously they don't have the Slugas-type player either who can basically get everybody's heads back in the game by fixing stuff. You know, there doesn't seem to be a Slugas there. This is not a good Fenner team. Moshe, you get the final word on this before we move on to our games of the week. Bad Fenner. Bad, bad Fenner. Yeah, our sympathies to Fenner fans. That's where we're at right now. Like, you know, and on that uh, grim note, we move on to our games of the week. And so we have uh, the usual, just one round this week, a 5-4 split from Thursday to Friday. Thursday, we have Sheska hosting Bayern, Fenerbahce hosting Efes, Alba hosts Maccabi, Panathinaikos hosts Zenit, Basconia hosts Real. Friday, it is Monaco at home to Asvel, Zvezda at home to Unix, Milano at home to Olympiacos, and Barcelona at home to Zalgiris. As ever, we'll pick a, a, a game from each night to watch and our nine picks for the actual, you know, results who's going to win etc i think it's actually a pretty tough one because there's a lot there's a very lot of balance there's no i don't think there's a super heavyweight class here but there's a lot of balance well there's one to me super heavyweight but that's on friday thursday i'm going to go with the turkish derby purely because everything we just said about bad fenner there fs on the rise one of these teams is going to be in a lot better mood after thursday night and i i think we know who i'm feeling it's going to be but we'll wait for more picks for that Friday, I think it's a simple one. Uh, Milano versus Olympiacos. Uh, Milano obviously coming off that defeat, but at the same time, um, you know, they are doing quite well. Olympiacos, let's see how they do on the road after what Moshe was pointing out with their seven home wins, four road losses. Uh, so they're my two to watch. Uh, and Moshe made it easier to pick the Friday one. So congratulations, Moshe, on that. And my nine picks are Sheska, FS. Maccabi, and you can tell my nerves is this screams of that the odd game Alba might win, but I'm gonna go Maccabi. Zenit Real. Uh, although this game screams of a Basconia, but now I'm going Real. So I know I've gone four away teams on a Thursday night, which is very against my uh, inclinations. And I'm keeping with the away theme, I'm going Asvel to win Monaco because of all the craziness in Monaco. I'm going to go with Zvez to get a win, actually. I think Zvez are due a, a home win, and Unix is the type of team that's suited to, to lose in Belgrade. I'm going to go Milano, and I'm going to go Barcelona, but still a majority of road wins for me. And I think this could really, in our in our year-long uh, predictions one, this could be one of our season separations. I'm spending a lot of difference between me, Moshe, Lewis, and Aris this week. Lewis, we'll go to you. Your, uh, nine, your two games to watch, please, first, and your nine picks. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm going... The Derby in Istanbul for Thursday night, I think that that could be a turning point for both of their seasons. And then Friday night, no shadow of a doubt, Milano Olympiacos. That, that's a heavyweight. That's a, I'm going to open a beer and just sit and watch that. Um, my nine picks are Cheska, can't believe I'm saying this, Fenner, Alba, Zenit, Real, Asvel, Zvezda, 
Olympiacos Barca. So, and for context, so Lewis and I are differing on three games, so big room for us to be uh, screwing each other this week. Uh, Moshe, your uh, two games to watch, please, in your nine picks. Guys, who's leading the, the predictions? Not me, not Lewis, not Aris. I think it, I heard it's Scotty Wilbekin's agent, but that's, that's a separate <laughs> point. Oh, no, it's a, he's actually Scotty Wilbekin's branding officer. we got to clarify that. <laughs> so, yeah, back to your prediction, Moshe, sorry. Well, your game's to watch first. Oh, yeah, gifts Two games to watch. Come on, that's easy. It's like you guys both picked. Um, Fenner, Efes, and obviously Milan versus Olympiacos. Because if you thought that Barcelona, Cheska was a slugfest, I dare you. I double dare you to, to say that this one's going to be anything short of it. Uh, I'm picking Cheska, though I'm feeling extremely uncomfortable going against Bayern Munich. Um, but, you know, I'll pick Cheska. I am taking Fenner. I am going Madrid, even though, you know, Anadolu can smoke uh, uh, Fenner. I'm going Maccabi. I'm going Zenit. I'm going, I want to say Unix, so I will. I'm going Monaco. I'm going Milan. I'm going Barcelona. And that's it. Okay. And it really says a lot about how far Pana have falls, fallen. That the three of us just happily said they will lose a home game in EuroLeague. Uh, because they just, you know, you think about, you know, Paolo was the one reliable even when they were mediocre. Now they're bad. So it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, we can't even just like just casually pick Paolo to win home games anymore. But on that on that bombshell, it is as ever time for us to wrap up. As ever, you can find me, Ball in Europe is the website, the YouTube, the Facebook, and the Twitter. Ball in Europe com is the Instagram. Lewis, where can they find you? Find me, as always, on Twitter, at Half Glenny. And Moshe, take us home. And as ever, you can find me at MosesB1 and I'm Team Scott on Twitter, uh, MosesB1 on, inst- on Instagram. And of course, there's the website and the, face- and the uh, Facebook page itself of Team Scout. And um, what's that? Oh, yeah. We have a Twitter account for the show. It is at ELSWIT16SHOW. And um, I mean, I think, I think it's time, isn't it, Luis, th- that we take off Emmett to another practice? No? Okay, maybe next time. Uh, maybe next time. Maybe next Take us time. <laughs> so, till next time. Great pass from Diamantidis. The lob is done! we go. 40 minutes to a title. David Blue for three. On the mark, David Blue! Now Spadunas drives inside. Look for the Corey Higgins just exploding. EuroLeague Sweet 16. Exactly what you need.